This podcast is brought to you by Catch the Fire Boulder, where we're more than a church. We're family. For more information about this podcast or other resources, please go to ctfboulder.com. Oh, man. You know what? God's been showing me a lot of stuff this last two months, three months. I was over at Stephen Christie's house one day, and um, Ingrid and I were, they had made us dinner for our anniversary. It was great. And that was in June. And Steve said, you know, I just started going into Vernon's house for this study. And I said, yeah, that looked interesting. And he goes, it's not just interesting. It's like life changing. (laughs) And I said, really, tell me about it. So he started explaining you know, it was this thing about finances, and I'm like, I've been through Dave Ramsey, I've read a lot of stuff, you know, what, what's the big deal? And he said, no, the same thing that this guy is doing with finances, Andrew Womack does with healing. Uh, all these other people do with faith. Um, you see the same exact uh, base um, foundational knowledge that gets implemented in faith and in the kingdom. And I'm like, oh, wow, that sounds really good. And so he started telling me some stories, and they were amazing. And so I said, I think I'm going to go to that. And they were halfway through. Like, I think they were four weeks into a nine-week study. And so um, I said, all right, well, do I need to buy the book or what? Vernon, fortunately, uh, had given me a book and a workbook to go through, so I didn't have to buy it. And um, so I started reading through it. And, like, it was Monday nights, and I think we had found out about this on, like, Saturday. And so I read to the point where they were Sunday and Monday to be ready to go to this class. It was all caught up by the time we got there. And it was awesome. It was amazing. And so it's opened a door for me um, to learn more about the kingdom, more about faith, how it actually works. And it started with what this guy, this author had talked about. His name is Gary Cassie. Um, But because it's so similar to other things I've heard, I started listening to similar things from Andrew Womack and from other ministers and doing my own Bible study reading. And I've been meditating on these scriptures and it's becoming my revelation. It's becoming, you know, it starts with something you hear and then as you internalize it, it becomes yours. And so this has been awesome. And so today what I want to talk to you about is uh, the family of God. And so Um, It's not, of course, everything that I've been learning, but it's in one specific vein. And we're going to actually be starting a new series Uh, for the next few weeks. You'll be hearing about the family of God from different people, different perspectives. Um, But we are the family of God. So my main points today are that we are family. Brothers and sisters will be, right? (laughs) Um, Next, uh, and part of being family, it shows that God loves us. You know, God didn't have to invite us into his family, but he loved us so much that he said, I want you guys to be with me. There's also standards in a family as to how we should act. And when we're children and we're trying to figure out, how do, we, how do I please my parent? How do I please my father? He tells us, faith pleases God. And so that's why... I don't know, man, I just see it all over. It's like when you put on a new set of glasses or you read something and you get this new revelation or, you know, a new framework, a new paradigm, you see everything through that paradigm. I'm, I'm in this paradigm right now of faith and kingdom, and it's awesome. 
So we are also citizens. We're not just family. We're also citizens of a kingdom. And in God's kingdom, he has laws. And you, you read the law, the Torah, and you think, okay, there's, there's a lot of laws here. But that's not necessarily how Jesus talked about the kingdom. I mean, all that stuff is true. None of it's passing away. It's always fulfilled in Christ. But the way we work it out now looks a little different. We don't necessarily have to go and give a sacrifice on the Day of Atonement in order to pay for all of our sins for the previous year, like the Jewish people did that was in the law. Um, but we work the same principle out in a different way now, okay? And we can only abide by those laws of faith. You know, when it's, it's like he makes these laws. When we follow them, we get the rights and the benefits of those laws. And so it's been amazing to see that. I'm going to share some of that with you today. The last point I wanted to share with you is that faith is required to please God. And how do we get faith? I mean, if it's required to please God, shouldn't we want to get some faith? How many have prayed for faith before? God increased my faith. I did too. I just learned that's not how it comes. Who would have known? It's one of these laws. The Bible says faith comes by hearing. Hearing what? The word of God, the word about Christ. And so he tells you, you don't pray for it. You put the word in your heart. And as you put the word in your heart, it will grow. And then when it's ready, you, you harvest it, and that's when you speak it into an existence. And man, who, who would have known? Uh, faith, only faith working through love counts. So, I mean, you can talk about, oh, I have faith. Well, working through love is how it comes. And this is specific in Galatians 5, 6. Paul talks about faith working through love uh, is the type of faith that pleases God. Um, I'm going to show, if I have time, I mean, I have so many things I could tell you about. I'm going to try to be led this morning by the Holy Spirit, but these are the points I want to get to. And if we have time, we're going to go through Mark 4, which is where you see how faith grows, matures, and then must be harvested. So, you, you know, when you're talking about a family, there's a lot of different players in a family, right? You have husband and wife, you have children, you have the stepchild, right? You have all those kinds of things. When you look at the kind of people Jesus tells us we are, he says we're the bride of Christ in Ephesians 5, 25 to 27. Uh, we're also, Jesus is the firstborn among many brothers. So we actually get to be Jesus' brother. Uh, we are adopted sons and daughters of God through our faith in Christ. That's in Galatians 4. By the way, I'm making all these things legal. Firstborn among many brothers is from Romans 8, 29. Uh, Jesus even says in Mark 3, verse 33, who are my mother and brothers? Then he answers it. Here are my mother and brothers. Whoever does the will of my father uh, are my brother and sister and mother. So you could be his bride his brother, his mother, his sister. I mean, right? The, the point isn't, who are we today? The point is, these are metaphors. These are ways of describing a deeper concept, ways that we can understand. We understand what it's like to be a husband and wife, especially if we're married. We understand what it's like to be a son, especially if we've been raised in a home. Uh, we understand those things, and so we can relate what Jesus is trying to say through those experiences. Where it breaks down is if we have a bad experience. 
That's not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is not an abusive husband. Jesus is not an abusive father. Or his heavenly father is not an abusive father. He's not the big brother who picks on you all the time and puts you down. He's the best brother. And he's the best father. And he's the best spouse who we get to walk in intimacy with. Right? And so, one thing I've learned is that there's the kingdom, the world system. It's the kingdom of sweat and toil. When you think about, I'm going to buy a house. You think about, how much is that going to cost per month? How much am I going to need for my down payment? And then you calculate that into hours that you work at your job or months that you work on salary. And, you know, maybe I'm getting an inheritance and I'm waiting until that comes before I can afford the down payment or whatever it is. You try to think through changing your time into money and then changing that money into things, right? That's the, the world system. But the kingdom system is different. And one thing I love is when Jesus sent out the 70, he said, when you go into a house, pray peace on that house. Well, when I read that, I was like, what's the point? You want to know what the point is? You're changing kingdoms. You're changing from the world system to God's system when you pray peace on that house. And you can pray peace on your house. You can change your kingdom, your domain, to be under God's kingdom, under his laws. You're a citizen. You have that right. But so often we don't know that we can do that. We can. He gives us the ability. And he said, if somebody won't accept you in that town when you leave, shake the dust off your feet as a sign to them that you're not letting your kingdom, your peace, rest on them anymore. If they won't receive you, take your peace back when you leave that house. That's basically saying, I'm leaving you to your own devices. Just like God gives us over to a depraved mind, if we choose against him over and over and over, he's just going to say, fine, you don't want me? Hands off. Go do it your way. That's basically what he says. Let your peace remain on the house if they will accept you. And if they don't, let it return to you and leave them to their own devices. So, when God's talking to us about different analogies, he calls us sons, he calls us daughters, he calls us, you know, close in intimacy and, and brothers. He doesn't call us his pets. We're not his little dogs that he feeds and lets out of the house. We're not his enemies. We're not his whipping boy that he tells us to go do things and if we mess up, you know, whatever. Um, we're not even unwanted children. We hear a lot about that today in the world's kingdom. That's not who we are. He wanted us so much, he was willing to pay the highest price, a price that we can never comprehend, so that he can say, I want you in my family. If anybody's ever tried to adopt a child or knows somebody who has, they generally pay a high price. Especially if you're adopting internationally. $50,000, that might just be the basic you know, cost of entry. Now, even if you adopt somebody through Adams County, you might first have them as a foster child, and then, you know, after a period of time, you, you're able to adopt them, and it might not cost more than two or three total. But 
You have all these things you have to do on a weekly and monthly basis. You have to put up with the bureaucracy. You have to deal with visitation rights. You have to deal with all sorts of things. It costs something over years to do that. And God loved us so much that he decided it was worth that price. The highest price in order for us to be connected to him through his family. If you have believed in Jesus for salvation from your sins, and if your spirit has been reborn, then you are sons and daughters of the Most High King. That's just how it works. And as a son, as a daughter, you have rights and responsibilities. Just like in any house, my kids need to put things into the dishwasher. They need to take things out of the dishwasher. They need to sweep the floor. They need to wash the toilets. They need to do different things. But as a benefit, they get to use our toilets. <laughs> they get to use our dishes. We make them food. You know, they, they actually get a lot more than they put, than they give back. And it's the same for us. We get so much, immeasurably more, being in God's family than it ever costs us. And Jesus says that we need to count the cost. And if you look at really what it costs you, it costs you your selfishness. It costs you your ego. It costs you your pride. And some people would say it costs you everything. Your life. But what do you get in return? Man, it's immeasurably more. You get a family. You get to be royalty. You get the rights and responsibilities of God's kingdom. Not just the world's painful sweat and toil system. So, Galatians 4, 4 to 5 says that we are sons and daughters of the king and citizens of his kingdom. That one and Ephesians. So I'm going to read these here. Galatians 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. What does that even mean? Born under the law of sin and death. Because... He can fulfill that law, and then he gives us access to a new law. To redeem those who were under the law so that they might receive adoption as sons. There he is, paying that huge price to adopt us into his own family. Ephesians 2, 19 says, So, then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Who gets to be a citizen? Saints. So does that mean you're still a sinner saved by grace? I would say if your spirit has been regenerated, that's the part of you, by the way, that you don't feel. You have a body. You can feel your body. You can feel pain in your body. Like when I hold this microphone, I start to get a little bit of a pain in my elbow, so I switch hands. I can feel that. If somebody asks me, how are you doing today? I might say, oh, my back's kind of stiff. I got this pain in my elbow. That's, that's one of the ways that we respond to how are you doing today. Another way that we respond is through our emotions or our feelings or our mental well-being. That's our soul, right? How are you doing today? Oh, I'm kind of depressed. I'm feeling really anxious about this thing. You know, you, you generally respond to how you can feel either in your soul or in your body. But have you ever heard somebody say, oh, I'm blessed and highly favored today? I've heard people say that, and I've thought, that sounds dumb. 
Yes, it's true, but nobody talks like that. Come on. <laughs> but you want to know the truth? In my spirit, I am blessed and highly favored. Because I can't read, I can't feel how my spirit feels today, I have to read about it in the Bible. When my spirit has been regenerated to be like Christ, the only way I know how my spirit's doing is when I read what Jesus says, what God says about my spirit. So he says, we're blessed and highly favored. That means in my spirit, whether I feel like it in my body, whether I feel like it in my soul, I am blessed and highly favored. And you know what happens when you look at your life that way? You tell your emotions what to feel. You tell your body what to feel because you're filtering it through your spirit. And the world can't do that. They don't know what that's like. They're spiritual stillborns. Unless they've been reborn in the spirit, they can't do that. And so we, as children and citizens in God's kingdom and in his household, we have that right, that ability you know, God tells us to do things that are impossible. And I'm going to get to that in a minute. You can't do that unless you do it through the Spirit. You can't do the things that he tells us to do. He's a loving father. And what does it mean to be under a loving father? You get security. You become secure. You know that he cares for you and he's going to do the best thing for you. You get access to his entire estate. It's vast. The Bible says that he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. The context of that is, I don't need anything from you. If I was hungry, I wouldn't ask you. <laughs> I own the cattle on a thousand hills. We say that in a different way often. But he's like, I don't need that from you. What does he want from us? He doesn't need anything. He wants our hearts. He wants our spirit. He wants our faith. And he wants to do his will through us. Did you know he can't do his will on the earth without us? Oh no, God can do anything he wants. He's sovereign. Yes, he is sovereign. But in his sovereign authority, he's given us authority on the earth. And just as if I'm a tenant, if I'm renting a house, my landlord can't just show up whenever they want to. They have to tell me at least in a day or two days or whatever the lease says in advance when they're coming to my house. They can't just show up. Um, they can't tell me that I can't have certain kind of food in my house. It's my house. Yes, it's their house, but it's my house. The world is our world. It's our earth. Yes, God owns it but we are the tenants. Legally, it's ours. Legally, we get to decide what happens here. And unless we partner with what God wants to do, his will is not going to happen on the earth. Does that make sense? And so we have access to the entire estate. We have access to what he owns. He wants us to manage it a certain way, but he, in his sovereignty, has allowed us to manage it any way we want any way we want. And why do bad things happen to people? Because people aren't listening to what God wants them to do. That's why. We are co-heirs with Jesus. It says that in Romans 8, 17. 
We also receive honor from God as a son. We receive authority on the earth. We have assurance. We know where we're going. We know whose we are. Now, he does tell us how he wants us to act. We have the choice to listen and obey. And if we don't, there will be consequences. But if we do listen and obey, we also have benefits and rewards. And it's amazing. And did you know that God has never told us to do something? He's never told you to do something that he's not already doing for you. If he says, forgive your enemies, love your enemies, you know God already did that? If he says that you need to, I don't know, sell everything you own and give it to the poor, what did he do? He went from his high place to poor, born in a manger, didn't even have his own crib, and did exactly what he told us to do. If he tells us to do anything, look at the Bible. He has already done it for you. And so he is not saying you need to do this, but, you know, do as I say, not as I do. He actually does it. He models it. And he says, you do likewise. So in Luke 6, this is basically the Beatitudes. And I'm not going to read it, but I'm going to tell you what it says. It says, love your enemies. Translation, God loves his enemies. Right? In Romans 5, 10, it says, if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more than we are reconciled, shall we be saved through his life. So, while we were enemies of God, he did something for us that we could never repay. And if we believe that by faith, it becomes ours. Our spirits reborn. We are now part of, we're citizens and sons. We have those rights in the kingdom and in the household. But he did that while we were enemies of his. He loved his enemies. In Colossians 1, 21 to 23, it says, And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds... You, me, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith. You see how there's a, 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 it's contingent upon that faith. If indeed you continue in the faith, then you who were alienated are now uh, reconciled requires faith. There's no benefit to you if you only love those who love you. That's what he was saying in Luke 6. Love your enemies. After he says that, he says, what benefit is there if you just love those people who love you? The world does that. He's like, there's no difference in that kingdom and, and my kingdom. There's no difference in my household and your, that household. You need to be different. You need to be under a different kingdom where you love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. And I'm not going to go through every single one of these, but you can find them if you look. He does good to those who hate him. While he was hanging there on the cross, Jesus said, forgive them. He's offering forgiveness as he's being crucified. He's looking at the very people who are doing that to him with compassion. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. He says, there's no benefit to you 
if you do good only to those who are doing good to you? It's because it's the same as the world. Give to those who take from you. Give to those who beg from you. Do not demand back your goods from somebody who takes them from you. Has anybody ever seen Les Miserables? Pretty cool. I, I liked it. My wife hated it. But uh, in the opening, there's this guy, Jean Valjean, who's a criminal, and he's brought into, I think it's like, a, it's like an abbot. Um, it's like a monastery. And the, the priest there um, gives him a place to stay, a warm meal, meets his needs, brings him in, just like we're supposed to do. And this guy, he thinks, wow, those are some pretty expensive candlesticks. And he goes and he takes them. And the police apprehend him and they bring him back and they say, did he take these? What do you think the priest said? Yes, he took those. Throw them in jail. That's not what he says. It's one of the best pictures I've ever seen of forgiveness. It's where he says, I gave those to him. And he forgot these other things that I would have given him as well. It's awesome. That's how God is with us. And that's what he asks us to do to others. Do not demand back your goods from somebody who takes them from you. As you wish that others would do to you, so do to them. Love your enemies. Do good. Lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great. That's different than the world system. You will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your father's merciful. Don't judge others and you won't be judged. Don't condemn others and you won't be condemned. Forgive other people. And what, what do you get? Anybody guess? Forgiveness. Exactly. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure. How is it going to be given? In a good measure. It's going to be pressed down. It's going to be shaken together, running over into your lap. With the measure you use, that's how it will be measured back to you. Are you a generous giver? That's how God can be with you. Children naturally want to please their parents. And so our Father wants us to do things that are impossible. They're not just hard. They're not like things that you could do if you really tried. They are impossible. We can only do them through faith. We can only do them because our spirit has been regenerated. And we look at what God says and what he's given us already, and through that transaction, through that spiritual aliveness, that spiritual life, that's how we can overcome our emotions and overcome what we want to happen in, in, in our sinful nature. So we're citizens of his kingdom. What does that mean? We get legal rights and benefits in his government. So I'm a citizen of the United States. If somebody does something to me, that is illegal, I have recourse. I can sue them in a court of law. And if we ask God, he hears us. Just like a judge would hear a case. Have you ever thought about it that way? Not he hears us like, oh yeah, I heard you. He hears us. He's going to look at the evidence. He's going to look at what his son has done. What are the rights for this citizen in my kingdom? And when he does that, he dishes out justice. His justice is done. 
And we don't have to worry about it. He's going to make it right. So when we talk to him and we ask him things, he will give us a hearing. He will administer his justice in our lives. We have legal rights and benefits within his government. It's been made known to us by his word, the Bible. And so if you want to know things, that's where you find it. Access to his justice, enforcement of the administrative of his administration of his kingdom law. What is his kingdom law? It's his promises. The Bible says that all of his promises are yes and amen. What does that mean? If his promise was true for somebody else, does God change? No. If it's true for another one of his children, who is it also true for? You. If it's true for his other citizens, who is it true for? You. And so, when you see a promise or a kingdom principle in the scripture, it's not just what happened. It's what happens to you if you believe. One thing I learned through this study, which was awesome, Adam, Steve talked about this a few weeks ago. Adam was in the garden. He kicked God out. Adam was a tenant on the earth. He kicked out the landlord. Jesus even talked about this later in one of his parables about the, land, the vineyard and the, the landlord and the tenants. And he said the tenants were there and they were doing things that were contrary to the owner's wishes. And they would kill the prophets and they would kill the other people. And then here comes the son. And the, the owner says, I'll just send my son and then they'll listen. But the tenants look at him and they say, oh, here's the heir. Let's kill him so we can have the whole estate. That's, that's how this whole thing happened in the garden. Adam kicked out God. And by kicking him out, I don't know what he thought. I mean, he probably had no idea what would happen. God said, in that day, you'll surely die. He didn't die physically. He still now had pains in his body. He didn't die in his soul. He could still feel and have emotions. He lived for 950 years. So how did he, in that day, surely die? There's a third part of him. There's a spirit that died. And he no longer could live that kingdom lifestyle that he was born living. And the only way that could come back is if God could partner with a human in order to bring that to pass. And he does it in such a way, it's impossible. He tells somebody, you're going to have a child, which doesn't sound impossible. But it is if you're 100 years old and your wife's 90. She's already gone through menopause. Like, the stuff isn't working. That word that was given to Abraham, it could have just gone to the wayside. And he could have said, yeah, okay, that sounds great, God, thanks. But no, he took hold of that. He took hold of that. He allowed that word of God to be planted into his heart. And he believed it for years, like 50 years. And he didn't see it coming. And you know one thing he didn't ask God? How is this going to happen? Would have been a helpful thing to know. You know, when the angel Gabriel came to Mary, Gabriel said pretty much the same thing to Mary. You're going to be with child. And it's not going to be through a man. Uh, and she said, how is this going to happen to me? How, how am I? I've never been with a man. How will I have a son? 
And the Holy Spirit doesn't condemn her, or Gabriel, in this case, does not condemn her. He says, well, he, he, he actually sees it's a genuine question. How? The Holy Spirit's going to come on you, and he will put that child inside of you. And what does Mary say? So be it to me as you've said. A similar thing happened with Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist. He was in the Holy of Holies. God comes to him, says, you're going to have a child. And he's like, how is this going to happen? Same question. Different meaning. In Zechariah's case, the angel said, you will be mute. Why? Because our words matter. If he spoke out a decree that that was not going to happen to him and his wife, could have stopped the birth of John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus. He had to be mute, so he couldn't make that decree. And when it came to pass, he wrote out, his name is John, and he got his, he got his voice back. He was able to speak again. Same question, different outcome, right? So wouldn't it have been helpful for Abraham to ask, how is this going to happen? Well, your wife, Sarah, when her womb is dead, is going to have a child. I'm going to put that child in her womb. That would have been good information. Instead, he's trying to figure this out. And his wife says, hey, I'm barren. You know, like, maybe it was around that time where it's impossible now for me to have kids. Why don't you take my servant and have a child with her, and then that'll be my kid. And since Abraham didn't know any different, he said, okay, that sounds like a great plan. I know God's giving me uh, an inheritance. He's giving me kids. And so they do that, and it turns into a disaster. I mean, the entire Middle East conflict could have been avoided if that one decision hadn't been made. But Abraham still believed God. And when the time was full, he said, now's the time I'm going to put that child into Sarah's womb, into her dead womb. Ezekiel prophesied over a valley of dry bones, dead bones. Same thing happens to us dead spirit. He makes things alive that were dead. That's what God does. And so when this happened, it paved a way. Abraham, because he believed God, God could do his will on the earth through Abraham. And through Abraham's seed, that's where Jesus came because Abraham believed God. And now through Mary, because she believed in the word of God, Jesus could come as a human under the law of sin and death, and he could wipe it out. And on his dying day, he said, it is finished. So does that mean that we now need to pray that somebody would heal us? He said, it's finished. Isaiah says, by his stripes, we were healed. So if that's the case, and we're not seeing it, how does it happen? It happens in our spirit. It happens by growing faith. And when that faith is mature, we harvest it. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. We can only do things that the Father instructs us to do when we actually believe that he's given us the capacity to obey him and that he'll reward us for doing it. We can only do it then. If we actually have the capacity. Otherwise, why would he ask us? So, what is faith? Most people know the definition from Hebrews 11.1. 1. Substance of things hoped for, evidence of things not seen. 
So I learned recently that, that those are the benefits of faith. It's not really a great definition. A better definition is when Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. So in Romans 4, Paul talks about this. He says, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of God, in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence things that do not exist. In hope, he believed against hope. Here he was almost dead. That he should become the father of many nations. As he'd been told, so your offspring will be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old. Or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith, and he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do, God was able to do what he had promised. This is why faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. We have that access to that same faith through Abraham, through Jesus. Because we can now partner with God and his will, we can bring his will to, to pass on the earth legally. God was pleased with Abraham because of his faith, and he'll be pleased with you for the same thing. So how do we get faith? So this is what I'm going to wrap up on. If you can open or turn to Mark 4. Jesus talks about the sower who goes out to sow his seed. Some of it falls on the wayside. Some of it falls on the road. Some of it falls on rocky soil. Some of it falls on good soil. The wayside, birds come and they take it. The uh, rocky soil, it grows up, but it doesn't have a root, so it withers when the heat comes. Some of it, sorry, I, I might, might have misspoke. Some of it's um, sown amidst thorns, and the thorns choke it out. But the good soil is where it produces 30, 60, 100 times what was sown. And so the disciples hear the story, and they're like, what's the meaning of that? And he goes, if you don't know this, you can't understand any of the parables. He says, basically, this is key to understanding all of the parables. And this is what, for me, was unlocked when I went to Vernon's house and started learning about these things. It's like this key opened a door, and I was finally able to see. I'd been hesitant to pray for people for healing. Why? Because I didn't know how it happened. I didn't understand why somebody's healed versus why they're not. I didn't understand, you know, like a, a, a financial miracle. Like, it seemed like God was just kind of there, and if you ask him, he may or he may not do it. And what's it based on? Maybe how he feels that day? You know, what I did? That's not how it works. Here's how it works. Jesus explained it. He says, the sower sows this, the word. Remember, faith comes by hearing? That's Romans 10, 17. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The sower sows the word of God. And where do they sow it? What's the soil? Your heart. Now, you might hear a really good message, and you think, yeah, that resonates with me. I, I love that. And then you leave and you don't think about it. The birds just took that away. That seed is not going to grow. You might hear something and think, oh, that's really good. I'm going to implement that. And you start a, a study or you pray into it for a little bit. And then, you know, you don't see something happen. 
or somebody makes fun of you because of it, and you're like, okay, that was, that was dumb. I'm not going to follow that. that. That word dies. That's without the root. You might hear a really good word, and you might say, that's amazing, and it grows, and it actually has a root system. But then other stuff in your life starts coming in, and it requires your attention, and it requires your time, and no longer are you focusing on that word. You're focusing on other things. And those are the thorns that choke out that word. But the good word, the good soil, goes into your heart. And you meditate on it. You think about it. You read it over and over and over. You allow it to grow inside of you. And that's when it produces a crop. Later on in Mark, he gives another parable. And it is the parable of the growing seed. And I'm, this one I'm going to read. Mark 4:26. And he said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground and should sleep by night and rise by day. And the seed should sprout and grow. He himself does not know how. Okay, so now we've sown that seed into our heart. We're sleeping. We're waking up. We're going about our business. But that seed stays there. We're actually thinking about it. We're meditating on it. And it grows. We don't know how. We're watering it by reading it, by meditating on it. We're allowing God to bring the growth. We don't bring the growth. For the earth yields crops by itself. First the blade, then the head, and after that the full grain in the head. But when the grain ripens, immediately he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. Faith may have grown in your heart. And you may never have harvested it. You may never have actually said, now I'm going to release that into the earth. And that's the last piece. First, we need to receive the word of God. We need to plant that into our heart. We need to allow that to grow. We need to meditate on his word. If there's something you know you need, find a scripture for that. Healing in your body? There's tons of healing scriptures. Look up healing scriptures, meditate on them, think about them, allow them to grow. And once it's full, and once you have that actual faith, you know what faith is? If I told you right now that this catch the fire sign up here, it's not actually red. It's actually yellow. Are you going to get mad at your second grade teacher and say, they taught me wrong? No. I can't convince you that that's yellow. You know and nobody can change your mind that that's red. That's faith. If you don't have that level of conviction about the thing that you're hoping for or praying for, you're saying you have faith, but you really don't. You're lying to yourself. And you can't manufacture it. And don't feel guilty if you don't have it. It's, you haven't done the work. The only way you do it is by reading, meditating, allowing that seed to grow in your heart. And it will happen all by itself. And once it is mature, that's when you can speak it into being. I'm gonna review this with you. We are sons, daughters, we're part of God's family. We're citizens, we have rights under God's government. His promises in the word are for you. All of his promises are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. And only when we receive that seed into our heart and allow it to grow, will that 
faith actually come. And that's the only way we can please God. Jesus looked at his disciples and he says, do you still not, not have any faith? How long must I be with you guys? You still don't have any faith? And then when he saw the centurion, what did the centurion say? He said, come to my house. Jesus said, oh, I'll go to your house. He goes, no, you don't even need to come to my house. Just speak the word and it'll be done. I'm a man under authority and I have authority over other people. I say, you do this, you do that, they do it. He goes, you have authority over this, speak it, it'll be done. Jesus says, I have never seen faith like this in Israel. What was that? Conviction in his heart that he knew. Nobody could convince him otherwise. He knew that's faith. So Father God, I pray that we would be a people of faith, that we would desire faith, and we wouldn't just pray for it, but we would actually do the work to grow faith in our heart, sowing the word into our heart, allowing that word to grow, paying attention to when it's ripe. And when it's ripe, Father God, I pray that we would speak it forth into the earth realm and that we would see things happen because of our faith in you, Lord, that we would please you, God, because of our faith. In Jesus' name, amen.